Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but we'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, runatics, and let's roll. It's said the Okane clan can lock the gods themselves away. Some claim we did. Growing up in Baeltorum, Garnak learned the family business. Forging vaults for kings, securing fortresses, crafting anti-demonic locks. The usual. Born with the gift, his family wanted Garnak to pursue the trade. Garnak pushed for his birthright to join the army. But a training accident left Garnak with only one leg and no choice but to apprentice under his brother Horkum. Which he did for the full miserable 30 years. Sick of Horkum's profit-mongering, Garnak set on the road. Banned from using the O'Kane name, Garnak took the common clan name of Ungart. He worked for the Runestone Rails and a few Sky Harbors before finding Tallwater. At the university, Garnak applied his talents building habitats for the various creatures of the menagerie and continuing his research. After Vesper's arrival, Garnak gained a new obsession, righting that wrong and getting Vespi home. Somehow, over the last couple of years, a menagerie crew became a makeshift family to him, and Garnak would do anything to keep them safe. Uh, don't tell the elf. So as Juro enters the menagerie and makes his way towards the rhinocopede enclosure, he spots a figure fiddling around with the lock on the enclosure for the shadows. Garnak would be crouched down. He have his toolkit out. He's wearing a chain shirt that has holsters for all kinds of strange contraptions kind of littered all over him, but he's pulling out different tools and recalibrating and adjusting. Uh, it- Excuse me. I'm busy. Yes, I can see that. Uh, Are you the new ward guy? I don't know. I'm not a ward guy. I'm a security guy. Whoever was your ward guy was, well, he had issues. We'll just leave it at that. That is up for debate. I'm Professor Jerovalant, abjurer and professor of abjuration and warding here at Tallwater University. Well, I hope the guy wasn't one of your students. No, the guy was me. What What exactly is your problem with my wards? Oh, um, yeah. Oh, the wards are great. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I kind of I'd stand up and shake your hands, like, "Hey, Gardak, nice to meet you." A pleasure. Yeah, no, I just 
I've been tearing down the wards. They aren't working. Really? Okay. What isn't working about them? Well, they work. I mean, actually, the wards were well done, but they're wards. I'm not here to make wards. I'm here to secure the different displays. So I'm trying to build security, not wards. And basically what you have is a whole lot of patchwork of different spells and enchantments that are doing everything. I don't know of any better way of doing it. Is that is that a toolbox? Yes. Toolbox is a name you could use for it. Toolbox will work. That's a toolbox. You don't need to patronize me. I know... Look, Karnak, you said? Yeah. Look, I put up all of these wards myself, and as you said, they're very good wards. I'm not quite sure I understand what further security measures are needed here. All right, well, all right, let's take a look. Right here, we got the Venator Shades, right? And Garnak, when he waves his hand in front of a light, you'd see the shadow go across the enclosure. And when it does, you'd have these little snake-like shades that would start coiling around the shadows and then darken the shadows where they're enveloping it. And when he pulls his hands out, you see those little shades get pulled out from the light and then go scurrying off. Yeah. So what were you using for the Venator Shades? Venforth's False Mirror. It's the, the most traditional and, as far as I know, most tried and true method. Yeah, but I mean... What kind of efficiency matrix were you using for it? I mean, you kind of had to come back and refresh those things, like manually, every week or so, something happens, you get sick, go out of town, we got issues, have to rely on somebody else to come in and put in a ward. I mean, there could be issues with that. I built in redundancy. I went through and just put in a system with a light weave barrier. A light weave barrier? Are you... Well, actually, that might, that might actually work a little bit better. Yeah, take a look. Uh, I'd lead you over and you'd see an array of crystals that were outside by one of the large windows that looks out upon the landscape. You set up the runes, set up the crystals, they recharge every morning, power the light weave barriers, and actually it stops the Venatar shades from being able to move in or move out. Gets refreshed every day. Also is redundant because you could set up multiple layers of the light weave barriers that get recharged on different days. That way, you never have to worry about anything going wrong and them not coming in. At the indication of crystals being used for uh, magical purposes, Juro's eye twitches a little bit, remembering some of the bunkum often spoken to him by Dr. Magrin. Well, yes, but... No, I really can't think of any actual criticisms for this. This is, I suppose, a better way of doing it. I just never really knew how to do them. Can, can you teach me that, actually? Um, maybe, sort of. Parts of it. Parts of it I could definitely teach you. Could definitely teach you parts of it. Uh, most of it's just looking at things differently. It's how to approach setting up security, not where it's a matter of what can you keep out, but what can you do to separate? And what can you do to make sure it stays separated? And that's a lot of what this is. I, I don't do wards. I do security. So I'm building security systems for keeping things out and in and movable. Like, watch this. And Gurnak would walk through the light weave and just get right in the middle of the Venator Shades. Uh-huh. Uh, the Venator Shades entwine around Garnak's shadow, and you see them slowly moving towards his neck. And then Garnak just walks backwards out through the light weave and the as the weaves of light crisscross over Garnak, 
just you see the shades pull back and go back into their little hidey holes. It's permeable. We can move through. Nice little uh, display that we could set up. You know, like those teaching moments, right? Is that what you guys do? To an extent, yes. And plus, if you have students you don't like, you can let them get half strangled before you drag them out. I mean, we've only ever let them get half strangled in, in our defense. It's a good policy. What do you do about maintenance for these? Uh, if I recall correctly, light weaves are tricky to actually maintain. The reason the false mirror works so well is because it can be tended to at least once a week. You know, what happens if this, what did you call it? The light weave? What happens if this actually goes down? Well, if the light weave goes down, the same thing will happen. What happens if your wards go down? But the thing is, one light weave will go down, then that would trigger the next light weave. And you already have a third light weave that's up. So basically, you need three different light weaves to all go down at the same time for it to fall apart. And for the most part, when you take a look at the Thurgic runes, they do a lot of diminishing the stochastic thalamic energies. So for the most part, they stay a little bit more stable. You just check them once a week, and they usually will stay up without too much of a problem. Aha. Uh -huh. Have you ever considered tetragram inverted half seal for these? I found that those are a little bit more forgiving when you constantly have to go in and out of an enclosure. Uh, that's interesting. Can you draw one up? Yes, of course. I will grab a wand from my pocket, just a, a, a length of wood from my pocket and etch in the dirt the symbol of a tetragram inverted half seal and give the basic instructions for implementing it. it it's kind of like a copy and paste bit of code but it can fit anywhere into just about any system it's timeless huh yeah they'll probably make it easier for letting people walk in and out without causing degradation that could work yeah let's implement it uh, your wards were good i had no problem with your wards just I'm trying to make things secure, which is going to probably have a different approach. Nothing against what you did. Just I want to make sure that the layers that are involved to make sure that these things don't get out or that students don't get in are secure enough that we don't have to have any major problems. No, I completely understand. Well, I was no, I was not happy to find out that <laughs> some of my work was becoming obsolete, but I do understand that there are better ways of doing things. And I'm not averse to learning something new. I'm a lifelong academic. It's kind of what I do. Academic, huh? What's that like? <sighs> and Juro will kind of look off into the distance, trying to come up with how to describe this precarious balance between being constantly bored but loving every second of it. It's, it's something you adapt to. It's, uh, it's upper class posh uh living but you also don't get paid anything or barely anything i'm also used to just the second part well, surely someone of your talents has quite a bit to offer in terms of lucrative work you'd be surprised things don't always work out as i might hope i worked for the sky harbors for a bit that went okay after a while, though, it fell through. Literally. Can I... This is a weird proposition. Can I, can I buy you a drink? Yeah, absolutely. 
As soon as you're done here, uh, meet me at the third tower. It's the one that's hard to miss. It's kind of the uh, transmuter's wet dream. That sounds intriguingly terrifying. Sounds good. Every bit as terrifying as you would imagine. They have Dwarven Stout, right? I mean, they have to have Dwarven Stout. Oh, absolutely. And Elven Wine and very fine cigar lounge, if you're inclined towards that sort of thing. Nah, I get enough smoke at work. Well, fair enough. I'll see you in a little bit then. Professor Vallant, good talking to you. Same to you, Garnack. Do you, do you have a last name? Ungart. Ungart, yeah, Ungart. Well, same to you, Garnack Ungart. I will see you in just a little while. As he leaves his meeting with Garnack, the camera follows Juro down a long, plushly carpeted hallway lined with masterwork stained glass windows on the right side, about one every 20 feet. There are students rushing up and down this thoroughfare to make their way to and from classes, but Jero strides with professorial confidence straight down the center. Although each one of these windows is indeed a beautiful masterwork, he seems not to notice them. The camera cuts to a side angle so that we can see the windows as he walks past them. His gaze, set on a far-off point down the hall, his hands crammed in his jacket pockets. We see a student pass between Jero and the windows, rushing. A moment later, another passes him on this side a little bit faster. A third student streaks by. This Increase in speed continues, and with it, the waxing and waning of the light, both increasing in speed and intensity until the light becomes a strobe, which sets Jero's hairstyle and couture flickering through daily changes that come with a season, which blend into years. His hair lengthens and shortens, and still he trudges on, deep in thought. When Juro stops, the strobing stops. His hair is fashionably unkempt, like a 60s rock singer. He is dressed in the latest fashions and checks a pocket watch for a moment as he pauses in front of a door upon which a plate in brass reads Headmaster. With that, all of the rest of the lighting dims. All of the rest of the motion stops. Jero closes his pocket watch, turns to the camera, and says It's been said that those that cannot do, teach. I, Jero Vallant, journeyman exorcist and former dean of abjuration at Tallwater University, have a very rude gesture for anyone who says that. I have done much, and I have taught much in my nearly 200-year career at Tallwater University, Two years ago, a night of drunken revelry made me drop my guard and let slip the location of a secret tome, a spellbook containing a forbidden summoning ritual. Officially, this resulted in two students summoning a certain devil from the eighth level of hell, Kania, and binding her to the university for 99 years. Unofficially, the consequences of my indiscretion were much, much worse. I was placed under a magical moratorium and relegated to the Department of Xenobiology, where I could help keep tabs on the devil whose imprisonment I caused. 
Unfortunately, I can't conjure up the same enthusiasm for xenobiology as I once did for abjuration. If I fail, I face joblessness, homelessness, and hopelessness. Will I endure, conquer, and regain my honor and job security? Or will I lose face once again, as well as the only home I've known for all these years? Good day, Headmaster. Uh, yes, Professor Juro, hello. Uh, I received word yesterday that I am scheduled to retire shortly, yes? Actually, I received word several months ago that your retirement was imminent. I sent it via tube. You never replied, so I assumed you were all right with it. T tube? What? We, we have tubes here. Yes, the new vacuum tube system that was installed five years ago. Juro, come on, man. <sighs> have a seat. Most outrageous, Headmaster. I've... It is my life's work. He stands up from behind the desk and walks over to a sideboard, upon which stand several decanters bearing liquids in all of the colors of the visible spectrum. He grabs something in a bourbon-esque red and pours himself a glass. Looking at you, he says, Do you like scotch, Juro? I've been known to tipple, but it's, it is early yet. I, I shall pass, thank you. You, yeah, well, I hope you don't mind if I don't. No, please. So he pours himself, like, three fingers of scotch and goes back to sit behind his desk. Now... I don't know how much you know of me, Juro, but I was a student of yours 35 years ago. Of course, I remember all of my students. Basic warding and abjurations, it was. Well, you'll pardon the obviousness of it. Magic. Absolute magic. It's what threw me into abjuration, led me to my career in exorcism, and has brought me back to the university to guide Oxford, to this day. And it's because I met you, Juro. You were the greatest teacher I ever had. I very, I very much appreciate that, Headmaster. You were one of my star pupils, after all. At any rate, I am saying to you that the man I see in front of me here is not the one that I saw in front of the classroom, who lit things up with his lectures, where there was standing room only to get into his hall. Do you remember those days, Juro, when all of the students who wanted to know what you knew? Juro, you used to be fantastic. You are right. You have poured everything that you are into this college. It has taken it gladly. Many might say that you are Oxford. Or were. Lately, your numbers are down, Juro. I can't help but notice that the enrollments have waned to the point where you can barely fill a hole once a week anymore. Well, you, you, you do know why I stepped away from adjuration and took up xenobiology, do you not, Headmaster? I do, Juro. But the fact is, it's not making the university... It's not doing the university any favors. And unfortunately... The Constitution drafted in 998 
which you yourself ratified, limits tenure to a term of 100 years. The board of directors sees no reason to retain you if you're not going to bring the students in. Now, Juro, that's set for next week. Because you were not aware, I can give you a month's extension, but if the board doesn't change their mind, there's really nothing I can do to save your job. Uh, I don't, don't know what to say, Headmaster. I, I, I am grateful for the extension. I, I need time to think. Juro is suddenly quite pale and um, uh, holds up a hand and says, I, I do believe I will take you up on that scotch, though. I thought you might. And with a mage hand, he brings the one that he poured for you anyway over to the desk. Yeah, Juro raises it to his lips. His hand is shaking. He steadies himself, takes a few deep breaths, and uh, you know, as as he drinks it, his uh, his his whole body just seems to slump slightly. He's been holding a lot of tension in his shoulders, and it it becomes visibly obvious when he just lets go. Jero, xenobiology is indispensable to this university of all colleges, but it's not drawing students into the lectures. Yes, we need you. We need students and tuition more. Do something to impress them. Be that I. What are you, a hundred and you're you're eleventy one. I'm actually nearly two hundred. I've only been here for a hundred and eleven years. Oh. My point is you're you're a young man. Well yes. You've a lot of time ahead of you. This university cannot be the end all be all of a thousand year career. This times change. You have to change with them, is what I'm saying. I know all of these things sound terrible, but trust me, I I want you to succeed. I can't do anything right now. The board has my hands tied. But Juro, if I had one piece of advice, they couldn't turn that exorcist down. You can do it. I have faith in you. But until you do something that I can present, I can't help you. Juro uh, considers for a moment, moves his uh, drink around, the ice clinks in it, and then he takes the rest of it down in one in one gulp and stands up. Headmaster, I won't let you down. I know you won't, Professor. Enjoy the rest of your day. And then, like, because he's an academic and administrator, there is suddenly nobody else in the room but him, even though you're standing there. Juro stiffens and walks out without another word. Garnack, you and Adler are out in the menagerie because one of the rhinocipedes again has chewed through the wires. They have it kind of cornered off in the far reaches and you're playing with the wires there's a spark and the field integrity is once again 
at 100%. However, you might want to let them out first. Let who out first? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, guys, you might want to step out of there right now. It's about to get um, a little bit warm. Finn hurries back to Garnak's side. You back off the rhinospede bellows, and a wall of force drops between the three of you. It's rounded, and it keeps the thing in the corner where it belongs until it can rage itself out. How long is this thing going to last? Well, if they get the uncanical derivative wires, then it should last a long time. Instead, they keep getting these cheap little copper things that keep getting um, burning out or getting tore up. and I don't know. We'll see. They won't increase my budget. Finn kind of quirks his mouth down and nods in approval. As you turn to leave the room, you notice that Vesper has come out of the back to recline upon her sofa and watch you work. A tall, pale-skinned tiefling with a rack of antlers somewhere between that of a stag and an elk. She has big, tufted feet like a rabbit long black hair that cascades down her back. Besides this, she has the traditional tiefling tail, which twitches with amusement, or with anger, or with any other of her moods. Within her enclosure, a thin layer of frost coats most surfaces, but she doesn't appear discomfited by this. The rest of the scene falls out of view as the lights dim and the spot holds on Vesper. I stand out. There's no denying it. But does my standing out make you afraid? Or does it intrigue you? I was born in Kanya, the eighth circle of hell. A wonderfully frozen place. I had a family might not fit your definition of the family, but that didn't matter. I was trained to be a warrior, a guard of the realm. It was hard, but I was good at it, and I was on my way to becoming one of the greatest shape changers in the Hells. I was going to fight in the Blood Wars. That was why I was born. That was all I wanted in this life. But... Life did not work out as I had planned. When I was 16, I was forcibly torn away from my world and brought to this material plane, a very strange place known as Tollwater University. I was a bit of a scandal, honestly. The school had no idea what to do with me, and it was quite fun. But then they put me in the menagerie, an exhibit stuck in a box for students to come and gawk at and try and talk to me. The lighting returns to normal and the focus broadens to include our three protagonists. Having fun with the animals today, I see. I'm just trying to get this stupid thing to stay fixed. They break it on a regular basis. Oof, if only they had that problem with my enclosure. Oh well. Does that mean you haven't seen how they got out then, ma'am? You may wish to see if you can get some sort of cover 
for the Renasapede horns. That might be of help to you. Uh, cover? What do you mean? Well, just look. They're trying to scrape their horns and wear them down. What does that do to what they are scraping it against? It breaks basically everything. So, hmm. Maybe we could work on some type of diet concoction that can, I don't know, soften the things up a little bit. Hey, Magrin. Yes. The obvious solution to this speed problem is horn softener, and you have it ready. It's been in the works for a couple of days. Had to brew down. But anyway, you've got it. It's good. It's biologically neutral. It won't hurt them. It should just soften their horns down and make it easier to grind them. However, you should probably go and get your nephew and his friend from the menagerie to uh, to get one for testing. So you're on your way. Just strolling through the menagerie, seeing all the giraffes and elephants and whales and other things that they keep in the enclosures. By the way, Garnack, the whale enclosures are awesome. They're the ones that you really would like to work on because they are like 20 feet wide by 10 feet tall by 30 miles deep and there's 10 of them in that hallway. Like, it's possible for the whales to swim away where you can't see them in those rooms and still remain within the confines of the menagerie. That's so cool. So, yeah, I'm walking towards the um, rhinocipede enclosure. Um, the I have basically a large bowl with a cream in it that's actually a horn softener. They don't need to eat it. We have to put it on the horns physically. Um, it's a mix of like herbs and other things. Um, the smell is actually quite potent, and it's this really gross yellow-green color. I also have a bunch of pairs of gloves in my hands, kind of tucked under the bowl, because I know if you put this stuff on your hand, it's not going to end well. As before, the lighting dim, but this time the spot's on Magrin. She turns and smiles brightly as she looks right at you and says, My name is Magrin. I was born into a small family of halflings by the coast, blessed with a mark of healing. It would have been smooth sailing from there. However, I was bitten and cursed with the terrible scourge of lycanthropy, stripped of all my titles and sent to live out in the wilds. I suffered a lot in those days, but I learned a great deal too. I studied the earth and the animals and the plants and the crystals around me. I traveled all over, talked to all kinds of people. Eventually, I got skilled enough to cure my lycanthropy all by myself. I was invited to Tallwater. They heard about my extraordinary abilities and had to find out what I knew. During my tour, I saw the Xenobiological Menagerie. I had to stay. There were so many possibilities for research and new cures that hadn't been discovered yet. I've been living here for a while now at the university. People seem to avoid me for some reason, but Come on in any time. I'm sure I can fix up whatever is happening with you. Just don't ask what I'm going to do. Let it happen. It's better that way. The action resumes its accustomed pace. And Magrin rounds the corner. 
Vesper can smell this concoction from very far away. And the instant she smells it, she just gets this look of disgust on her face and stands up and starts moving towards her private quarters. A few hours later, in the Northwest Library across campus, Juro. Yes, sir. If it's an exorcist they want, then I guess it's an exorcist you're going to have to give them. Yeah, I'm hitting the books hard. Like, there's there's nothing else for it. If they want you, know, if they want to see the great exorcist, Gerald Vallant, okay, time to dust it off. And it is really dusty. So, you crack the book and uh, hand off your lectures for the rest of the week to your TA because you got to come up with something, right? Yeah. yeah. Can I stop by and visit Gerald's office? Absolutely. Actually, you catch him in the library, and he's got books on abjuration from all over the place, open on the table. Oh, that looks fun. Oh, don't don't touch anything. I have everything in its proper place. Fair enough. I uh, take a small cardboard box, and I find an empty spot somewhere on the table and try and wedge the box in there without actually moving a book and sit it down in front of him. What's, what's in the box? Croissants with truffle butter. Try one. I take one and sample it. Good gods, man. This is fantastic. Bakery two streets down. Now, what got you so upset about retiring? Well, how long have you been here now, Master Garnack? Not too long. Well, a, a few years back... Do you recall an incident revolving around young uh, Miss Vesper? I recall about a dozen incidents involving Miss Vesper. Yes, specifically the one that brought her here. That was a big one. Yes, that was my fault, in a way. How? Well, I was having a drink, as one does, with Master Lucius, and I opened my mouth wider than any gentleman should, and out came the tellings of a conjuration spell that uh, is not really to be known by students. And, well, two students overheard me, and decided to have their way with it. Wait, so that was two of the grad students that decided to conjure up Vespi over here? Indeed. So, Juro, basically, you're being held accountable as master to apprentice fault. Well, I knew them in passing. They were... Well, frankly, they were from over in the enchantment school. You guys do everything weird. Uh, their master should be held accountable, but never mind. I'm not going to get into another thing about how you guys run things. So what do you want to do about it? You don't want to retire, right? No, no. The headmaster asked me to adjust my teaching methods. If I can do so, I will not be forced to retire in a week. Well, if you retire in a week, then... 
Who's going to teach me? Speak of the devil. Which is why she was in her room a minute ago and is now in the library. You seem rather busy, gentlemen. None of the other teachers want to attempt it. You're picking up dragon chess, well. Yes, but that is a game. Vespa, dear, I promise you I'm not going anywhere. I happen to also love being a professor here at the university. It keeps me going. And I will do whatever it takes to not give that up. But if I can't have my cake and eat it too, then I will choose you every time. You can tell that Vesper is slightly blushing because instead of her cheeks turning red, they turn gold. And she just kind of gives a very shy smile and turns away because she doesn't know how to deal with this. Juro, you just made her mad. Uh, Lang walks into the library and passes a book that Juro had asked him to go retrieve for him. It was in the West Archive, so I mean, it's been a pleasant morning strolling along, seeing people. You stopped and corrected some violinists. Like, tune them, they were slightly off, but perfect pitch, right? You cannot abide poor playing. You know, then there was like some coffee and you got there and, you know, it, Jim hadn't seen Jim in a while. Good to catch up. I guess his wife just had twins. Did you know that? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, I, I, yeah. I knew she was pregnant, but I didn't realize she, uh, she had the twins. So after you catch up with that, you go spend a while looking for the book and then uh, stop off for a quick spot of lunch on the way back. And it's why now that you're getting in, like in record time, it took three hours tops. Oh, you don't, uh, you don't rush things. I had to make sure I had the right book. You know, duties call along the way. Yeah. Vesper will just arch an eyebrow and look at him and then look away. Jero, you're not going anywhere, my man. You're too important to this university, no matter what the headmaster says. But if he wants this exorcism, then we will give it to him and the board will have no excuse. Ixnay on the exorcism xay. He lays down the both the book that you're looking for and a piece of paper. Now, Lucius, this piece of paper is exactly the answer that Juro needs, and you were very shrewd to pick it off the postings board when you passed that way this morning. They don't understand, see? They think that you're a mess, that you just wander around do what you want, teach the lectures as you can, and depend on your TAs for everything. What they don't realize is that life is music, and the movement will come as it does, right? And as you play the song that is your life, occasionally, there are silences. And people don't get this, right? The beauty of music isn't in the notes, but the spaces between. Try to explain that to any of them, though. And so, this bill is perfect. It's a house up the coast that's been haunted for about the last 20 years. And it's the sort of places that teenagers go out to and dare each other to get close to. It's cake. But it is the sort of exorcism that Juro could probably handle with a plum. Now, if you were to make a deal of this, say, assemble a team of experts and bring some attention to the fact that Tallwater was coming out to take care of this 
problem for the community with no less than the eminent Professor Juro behind it. Well, that'd be something the board couldn't ignore. Just a moment passes where I'm just looking it over several times. Lucius, you're a genius. Did you know that? I smile and look over at Vesper. Tilt my head a little bit. It seems that something cropped up during my travels that are reviews, after all. What do you think, Dural? Would this solve your problem? Well, it's certainly a, it's certainly a start, but when was this posted? The forum says that the bounty has stood for the last 15 years, but for whatever reason, like, people don't take it seriously. So, I mean... At the very least, you could go out there and have a look and see if it shows any signs of actually being haunted. If it does, go out, exercise the bastards back into the underworld, put the seal on it, raw, raw, tall water, back to xenobiology. Oh, goodness, I have so much reading to do. I pull out three more books, because knowing Jiro, I can anticipate what he needs. And being lore is... The second love of my life next to music, I knew where to find these. I believe this is what you need to start with. Indeed, it is. And uh, somewhat humblingly, Juro, they're the primers you wrote 40 years ago. Well, I never expected to need these again, but here we are. Juro, you have taught me since I've arrived at the university. And sometimes I think I remember more about what you've written than you do, because you've written so much. Juro has now actually buried himself in these primers, and he's muttering. The words are in Catherican, and the very air itself seems to stand on edge. So it's very obvious that they are words of power. Vesper just kind of shakes her head and then says, Karnak. Might I have one of those? Ruffle croissants. Yes, whatever they are. I hand her a truffle croissant, shaking my head. No, Garnack, uh, I, I, I don't mind if I do. And I reach over and take one. Vesper just blows on it, freezes it, and then eats it. People, come on. Seriously. Well, there's one left, and you know he would have shared them with me. Well, you, yeah, but the bard. I mean, that guy just... I know Jerome. I know what he likes. And right now, I look over, I'm seeing him buried deep in the books. So it just sounds so Ooh, that one's... He is not of interest of that last croissant. And I proceed to pick it up. Our focus shifts from the research library to the very active veterinary clinic at the Tallwater Menagerie. We see Finn Adler, the man from the Rhinospeed enclosure, sitting in a comfortable chair with his feet up on what appears to be a box of medical supplies next to a broad window which overlooks a panel of velt. The window is cracked, and the warm air from the habitat, warding off the mid-autumn chill. He takes a big bite of his Gygax, chews thoughtfully, 
and flips the page of his novel with his thumb. It's a lurid, penny-dreadful pulp sort of thing. It kind of reads like this. Finn Adler was raised by his ma in a small fishing village south of the Dinianic Alps. Ma kept a lighthouse, and when Finn wasn't toting lamp oil up the stairs, he spent his time ranging far along the rocky coast, or exploring deep into the forest. Always had an affinity for nature, he took to hunting and fishing real natural, and from a young age. Finn's daddy was a big game hunter, famous for leading expeditions to capture huge and exotic beasts. Finn dreamed one day of being as renowned and skilled as his daddy, and even when the old man didn't come home after his final trip, Finn still secretly dreamed of leaving the lighthouse to seek his fortune. In the months leading up to his final year of school, Finn anticipated, with dread, his ma turning the lighthouse over to his care. So imagine his surprise one night when she slapped a leather billfold on the table and told him it was time for him to leave home, get an education. He took the family's old fishing trawler up the coast to Dullwater, hoping to get a job at the university, where his great aunt Magrin had a clinic. If you bumped into Finn on the street, you probably wouldn't remember him. Short blonde hair, green eyes, not too tall. The only unusual thing about Finn is the tattoo on his shoulder, almost like a birthmark, just peeking up above his shirt collar. And even then, you might not think anything of it. That is, until Finn's on the hunt, and it starts to glow. And with that, a clattering smash draws Finn's attention across the room to where Magrin is tending a new mother elephant and her recently delivered cats. A tray of instruments has been knocked over, but, you know, when things are moving around that size, things tend to get knocked over. Nothing too serious, Magrin waves Finn off. But, as if on cue, a page bursts into the room. And, uh, seems kind of lost. Can I help you there, son? Um, yeah, I need to get to... I have a request here for some equipment from a Professor Juro, but I don't know where I need to go with it. You delivering or are you picking up? Uh, it's a requisition. Well... Groundskeeper's busy at the moment. Let me take a look. So you get this, and it's a, it's a whole list of equipment. Like, suddenly he's mounting an expedition? I'll take care of this. Why don't you go tell Jero that Finn will bring him the stuff that he needs? Finn takes a sheet from the page. Uh, he turns to walk into the back room without really waiting to see if the page sticks around and uh, walks over to where Magrin is working and scratches his head and says, Ma'am, we got this order for Professor Voland, um, but I can't really make heads or tails of it. I don't know. It seems like he's it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit what we saw him puzzling over yesterday. So, Magrin will pull off her, I'm assuming, very long gloves if she's birthing an elephant right now. 
um, or helping with elephant afterbirth. Um, and she'll put on kind of, she has this, uh, doctor's coat with a bunch of patchwork pockets on it. Um, and she'll, she'll take the letter, um, and she'll look at the requisition order and go, what is that old fool doing now? Um, so what is the kind of the list? Uh, what is he looking for? Life is messy. You're right, Magrin. You, uh, you have been wearing a slicker and long gloves and has her multitude of hair tied up in a kerchief which sits atop her head for all the good that it does. You, like, wipe your face with a towel and take this thing off your hair first and everything is kind of gross and sloppy when you, before you put your jacket on. Looking at this with your cleaner glasses now, it appears that he's on his way somewhere. He's going to mount some sort of expedition. There's tents and, like, chests full of blankets and five days of food and some kind of climbing the Imperial Mountain expedition by the look of it. That idiot. What is he even thinking? He hasn't gone outside the on an expedition in, like, a hundred years. He's going to end up getting himself and all those other students killed. Ugh. Without question, Magrin, somebody should take him in hand. Finn, there's no way we can leave these idiots to do it themselves. It seems to me that no man can tell another man what to do. But, and I mean this with all due respect, I think Professor Volant puts too much stock in book learning sometimes. I agree wholeheartedly. We can learn from books and from others. Sometimes you have to learn it for yourself. Later at a campus pub, we see that everyone has collected in a booth. Magrin sits on a booster seat, leans over the table and peering through all these spells and scrolls and things that Jiro has laid out all over the table in and amidst the remains of the meal and many, many drinks. Lucius is sitting there, playing on the lyre. Vesper is just sitting next to Jiro, listening to Magrin yell at him. Um, she's already made up her mind. She's just enjoying the fact that he's getting yelled at. I can see her sitting on the end of the booth with her legs crossed to the knees and her big rabbit foot kind of just bouncing idly forward as she leans on Juro. Pretty much, and occasionally if she sees people looking at it, she'll cover it with her skirt. But yes, that's exactly what she's doing. I'm not saying it's a good idea, Magrin. I'm saying it's the only idea. And it's not even my idea. Frankly, you should be yelling at Lucius for this. Me? Yeah, that's what did, what did I do? It's the headmaster's insisting you need to perform this. How did I become the bad guy? Just roll it I'm, it works. I'm just saying, you shouldn't just barge into this foolhardily. Do you know anything about where we're going? Any of the legends, histories, pasts? Do you even know how to perform an exorcism? Well, I should think so. I've been at the university for 111 years, 109 of which I was a, a world-class abjurer. Finn enters, sort of nods in Magrin's direction, sort of half nods, half bows. 
She waves him over. Come, come, sit with me. Tell me about your day. Ma'am, Finn takes a seat. Well, lots of cleaning today. I think the lions had an extra big dinner last night because there was lots of work. They did. I'm trying a new mix um, in with their meat. I'm seeing if we can get them to uh, increase fur growth. I apologize if that made it more difficult for you. It made something grow, I'll tell you that. And I was the wiser for it. Well, that was not the intended effect. I'm going to have to go down there and take a look then. I didn't expect results so quickly. What was going on in here? Oh, you know Jerome, the drama queen. Apparently he's required to retire and is throwing a bit of a fit. Finn kind of sits back and folds his arms and gets a thoughtful look on his face. And he says, it's a shame. He's taught me much. So what is an exorcism anyway, Vesper? Do you even know? Are you sure? Maybe you should ask. I hear this word again that I've been hearing over and over again. Then I just sit up slightly and go, Joro? Yeah, Vesper. What even is an exorcism? You keep talking about it over and over again and how it's so important, but yet no one has bothered to explain what, in the name of heaven and the gods, is this thing? Oh. Yes, well... You potty mouth. Go on. Sorry, Joe. Sorry you had to hear all that blessing from her. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, you see, uh, an exorcism is uh, the process of banishing a spirit, a other... uh, I can see why this uh, gap in your education exists. Uh, As you mentioned this, you see that her big golden eyes narrow and her ears flatten back against her head. Gap? Sending somebody who doesn't belong somewhere back to where they do belong, Vesper? How interesting, girl. And he's known how to do this the whole time. I didn't realize you knew about this. And her smile just gets tighter and tighter and teeth are showing. And And the aggregate temperature in the room drops three degrees. Hmm. Look, you have to understand. I I quit abjuration. When? A few years ago. When I arrived? Look, I promised I would never do anything like that again. Her hand goes on Juro's arm and is starting to squeeze slightly as her nails dig in hey lucius you were there that night and it's not like that man you might want to chill her out or warm her up as the case is vesper vesper calm down he is not the one that summoned you or anything like that i know he's not the one who summoned me lucius i remember i know who summoned me 
she assumes that I've had the ability to send her back and am only now telling her about it. This whole time when Vesper has been growing more cold, Finn is just watching very intently and staying on edge. Do you or do you not know how to send things back to where they belong? Some things, yes. There are certain bindings that are much more ephemeral. But the very act of the ritual is strong enough to sever their ties to this world. Very well, then. Is it because I've been here too long? Or you were too afraid to send me back to begin with? I can promise you that if I knew how to send you back, I absolutely would have done that by now, if that is what you had wanted. The minute Juro says that, her face just immediately shuts down, and Vesper will attempt to get up and leave the table. Vesper, 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 darling, where are you going? Away. I need to clear my head. And she'll start to walk out the door of the campus pub. Just watching her tail, it thrashing back and forth very angrily. Lucius gets up and attempts to head her off, saying, Please come back and sit. You know, there's... Juro has had nothing ever but his, but the best intent of helping you. And he has gone to the trouble of, from what I understand, instructing you. Um, and giving you advice that you can take back to the Blood Wars. If he had any ill intent towards you, would he be trying to help you become stronger? You know nothing of the Blood Wars, Bard. Do not attempt to speak to me of what help others have been. Right now, I need to be out of this room before it gets even more uncomfortable for you. Very well, but I was not implying that I know what the Blood Wars are or even what they're about. I'm trying to show you what Jarrell has been trying to attempt for you because he does have true concern for you. She just shakes her head and pushes past him. Finn will slowly take his hand off his knife as Vesper leaves and relax and light a cigarette. Lucia sits back down and begins to strum the lyre again, settling for another round of scotch. Runelanders is recorded live. All the usual people played all of the usual parts, and you can find out all about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs I scatter throughout these episodes at runelanders.com. Like what you hear? Tell your friends. If not, tell us. We're at Cast the Runes on Twitter, runelanders at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook. You can even leave a comment directly on the site. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have 
some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Mad Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Thank <laughs> you.